All right, go ahead and take your Bibles, and we are going to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, just four chapters in the book of Ruth, but I wanted to, been wanting to preach on this book for a while, and uh, some great truths that we can get in here. And the book of Ruth, uh, it is, it's a interesting book for many reasons. One, it is, it's just a beautiful story all by itself. I mean, just, there's a lot of just great stories in the Bible, like the one that we went through, uh, the story of Esther is just another great story. You know, obviously, um, most of these stories, we like them for their doctrinal significance and things like that, but sometimes they're just good, they're just all around good stories. Um, the story of Ruth is significant because, and I, this is important, we always understand this too, you know, what is the purpose of these books? Because they're all profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, righteous, and all that. But what is the purpose of the book of Ruth? Well, I personally believe one of the main reasons it's in this book is it's because it's continuing the focus of the Bible, and that is the line of the Messiah. The Bible, the Old Testament, it's all about, not the Jews, it's all about who is going to come from the Jews, the Messiah. Jesus is what made the Jews special. Jesus is why they were chosen. They were God's chosen people because the Messiah was going to come from them as a people. And there is a line that we follow. And those promises get a little more specific as time goes on. And the story of Ruth, it takes us to David at the end. It's going to give a genealogy and it mentions David because he's going to be the next one that the, that is promised that the Messiah is going to come from his line. It's getting narrowed down. So Ruth is very significant for that reason. Uh, you know, and, and even historically before Jesus came, you know, it was, it was significant because David was a very key figure in Israel. And so we're seeing his origin. And so there are, there's also some things that we can learn about the customs of Israel during that time. We'll see that in some of the later, uh, chapters. But these passages also, have great principles that we can use to make application of in our lives today. And we're going to do that in this chapter. Most of the preaching that you will hear from Luke is mainly going to be focused on that. And that's just life application. And that is not wrong. And we're definitely going to do some of that. But we're going to try to hit the other things too. Another thing too uh, that we can see in the book of Ruth is there's also prophetic or symbolic things that point to Christ that we will also be highlighting as we go through this book. And so one and one of the pro- prophetic or symbolic things that we're going to look at today is something that the pro-Israel crowd often bring up and I will actually agree that there is some truth to what they're saying. There uh, there there really is. We got to be careful on our side. I often see people on our side do this whenever someone on the opposite side says something that seems to help their case, we've got to just make what they're saying false. But the truth is, sometimes they still say some things right. And if they're right, let's let them be right. But it doesn't necessarily disprove what we believe. And there's some things here in chapter 1 that the pro-Israel people use big time. Now, here's what I'm going to do today in the sermon to keep you all engaged through this series. And thankfully, it's only four weeks, even though I'm going to be gone one week. But... um, I am going to teach what they teach about Ruth 1 that is actually correct. 
okay, that's correct, that when you hear it, you're probably going to feel like, well, this kind of helps their argument a little bit. But if we continue that symbolism and that thought throughout the book of Ruth, specifically in Ruth chapter 4, then you know what? It goes back to helping our case. And they won't do that, but we will. Okay, we, we will do that, but I'm going to let you all, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to let you all hang on. You know, I'm, I'm going to make you all wait to figure out what that is just to keep you all interested and, and help, and help keep it, things interesting. So, uh, don't worry. We're not given, we're not giving the Zionists any points tonight. Okay. It might look like we're giving it to them a little bit, but you know, we're only doing that. We're only letting them get ahead of us with the basketball. Only so we can sneak up behind them and then just spike the ball out of them right when they're going up for the dunk. All right, that's what that's what we're going to do to them. So don't worry. But one of the um, so now and it says and, and remember too, while we're going to look at symbolism and some allegories, always remember this: symbolism allegories do not prove anything. The the way we determine whose allegory is better is who can back up their allegory with clear doctrine. And we win that fight every single time. Every single time we'll always win that fight. So, let's go ahead and start going through Ruth chapter 1. And it says in verse 1, Now it came to pass in the days when judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, this is not a wise decision. God had given Israel their land they were supposed to trust in God to take care of them. Now, notice how it mentions this was when Judges ruled. Now, we know from when we did the study through the book of Judges that a good chunk of the time, you know, during the, uh, a good chunk of the time of the Judges, Israel was actually in rebellion. But it didn't change the fact, too, though, that there were, there were several years where God was still blessing them, where they had peace and where they had rest. But they were constantly going through difficult times, but then God would send a judge that would deliver them, and then things would go back to being good. What ends up happening in the story, and folks, there's some great principles we can learn from this. These people, during a tough time, during a famine, they got a little spooked, they got a little nervous, and they made a foolish decision of going to Moab. God brought them out of Egypt and into their land not so they can just leave and go to another foreign land as soon as things got difficult. God wanted them to stay in Israel. And this was, this was also wrong for them to dwell in Moab because the, the Moabites had been enemies of Israel during this time. If you go back, many of the stories in the book of Judges during this time was Israel fighting with the Moabites. That was a, a lot of the stories. A lot of the, it was either like the Philistines or the Moabites were like their main villains. So what are these Israelites going and doing and dwelling with the Moabites during this time when they're all fighting with each other all the time? And the Moabites were a very wicked people. In fact, in Deuteronomy 23, this was given to the, this was written shortly before they went into the promised land, right before the time of Judges. It said in Deuteronomy 23:3, an Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever, because they met you not with bread and with water in the way, when ye come forth out of Egypt, and because they hired against thee Balaam, the son of Beor, of Pethor, of Mesopotamia, to curse thee. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee, 
because the Lord thy God love thee. Thou shalt not seek their peace nor thy prosperity all thy days forever. Now, folks, I mean, right here, these people, they kind of had permission to be pretty racist against the Moabites, if you, if, you, if you want to put it that way. God said, don't seek their peace or prosperity. You don't have anything to do with those people. God cursed them. You know why? God said, I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. And they literally went and hired Balaam to curse Israel. And again, God didn't let it happen. But the fact that they did not help them when Israel needed them to when they came out of Egypt, God saw those things. God saw their treatment of His people and God put a curse on them. God saw when they hired Balaam. And God put a curse. And while you know Balaam didn't succeed in cursing them, God cursed the Moabites for doing that. And not only that, though, even though Balaam failed in cursing them, Balaam did get Israel to commit fornication causing God to punish them. And, th- and this was all related to the Moabites. So these are not a people that Elimelech and his family ought to be dwelling amongst. This is a people they should have been staying away. Now, does anybody remember the origin of the Moabites too? Anybody? Lot, right. Yeah, Lot. And he had that uh, disturbing relationship with his daughters and the Ammonites and the Moabites uh, were produced from that. So, uh, you know, they weren't cursed because of that situation. They were cursed because they were an evil people. And uh, just like Lot's daughters kind of brought Sodom and Gomorrah with them, even though they had gotten out of Sodom and Gomorrah, obviously they passed some things down to their children. And what a sad thing that was. There was a reason God was always telling them to utterly destroy certain groups. Because unfortunately, their practices that were extremely destructive and deadly they would be passed on and they would eventually go and resurface and it would result in many more people dying later. But that's that's another subject for another day. But it's clear God didn't want Israel marrying these people. But but again, even though they messed up, God, you know, can still do great things in spite of it. Okay, it's just like a, a Christian shouldn't marry a lost person. But if a Christian does marry a lost person, it does not mean that relationship is just doomed to failure. You know, and the Apostle Paul made it clear. You know, if you're married to an unbeliever, stay married. Stay married and maybe they'll be sanctified or maybe they'll get saved through your testimony and then it can go on and still be a good marriage. So, God often produces good out of terrible situations and this is a terrible situation. Some really bad things are going to happen, but God's going to produce some good out of it. But God gets the credit for that. The bad decision never gets credit. We should never, we should never look at a bad decision and the fact that God made something good come from it and be like, I'm thankful for the bad decision. No. God, you know, that, we don't ever want to glorify bad and glorify sin. And so, verse 2 says, And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of the two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. Now, interestingly enough, the, the name Malan means sick. And Chalion means destruction or consumption or failing. Okay? Now, often in the Bible, because of the names, they had meanings. Now, here, here's what I don't know for sure. Okay? If they named them that, I don't know if that means that they were sick and... Uh, maybe they were sickly children. Maybe they had problems 
as babies. And so when a famine came, they're like, hey, you know what? We got special needs kids. We got to get out of here. Everybody always wants to make themselves an exception to God's rules. And so I don't know if they named them that because of what was going on in Israel during that time or because that's just how their children were. Either way, it was not God's will for them to do that. It didn't matter if they had special needs kids. God wanted them to stay in the land. And you know what? If if they have special needs kids, it just means God needs to give them a little more blessing and God can do that. God can take care of people like that. God, God can take care of you if you have special needs. And let me tell you something, as a pastor over the years, I mean, I've, especially when I was an assistant pastor, we had a Christian school, I felt like literally everyone had special needs. And again, please don't get mad at me and think I'm down on people who have special needs. If you have special needs, you have special needs. But come on, these days we're making everything to be a special need. Like, oh, I have anxiety when I go to work, therefore I'm not able to work, I get disability. I have anxiety too sometimes. You know what the rest of us do? We deal with it. You know, everybody thinks they have special needs and they're exempt from just basic, you know, Christianity, basic life, basic being a man. You know, I, I don't know if I can leave my home. I let my wife make the decision just because, you know, I mean, you know, I, I'm just, I, I don't think well when I'm under stress. You know what? Learn how to handle the stress and leave your home, man. Everybody thinks they're special needs. Everybody... And I, I'm telling you, the, the amount of excuses I've heard is enough to just drive me crazy. I thought about writing a book about that. Just, you know, all the reasons people don't have to go to church, why they don't have to go soul winning, why they don't have to obey, you know, 90% of the Bible. Everybody thinks they have special needs. And it's like, no, there's some things we're all supposed to do. And stop making excuses. And I think that's probably what they did. Here, they've got, they've got children that are sick and that have problems. And they're like, you know, we can't make it here in Bethlehem, Judah. We can't make it in the land. We can't stay here in the inheritance that God gave us. Let's go hang out in Moab with our enemies. That was, that was a bad decision to make and it didn't work out well. And it says, and Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left and her two sons. And so Elimelech, not only is he did he lead his family outside of the will of God, but now He's got his wife and his sons who were grown up. They're now left in this strange land. This obviously took a toll on their family. And so it says, and they took them wives of the women of Moab. This is not what they should have been doing. But again, God worked things out. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about 10 years. And so this isn't a good thing at all. But, you know, when you're dwelling in Moab, you know what's probably going to happen? Your sons are going to marry Moabites. That's probably what's going to happen. They're going to grow up. They're going to want wives. And let me tell you something, parents. If you want your kids to marry Christians, you know what? It's best to keep them around Christians. It's best to keep them around the house of God. You don't want your kids dating lost people. You know what? I wouldn't send them to the public school where they're going to hang, they're going to hang around a bunch of other people their age that aren't saved. And it's amazing how Christians, we expect you know, God to do all these good things, but we're not willing to do any of the things that he commanded us to do so we can receive those blessings. But, and I do, I think it's a shame what some parents expect from their kids considering the situation that they put them in. And understand, Elimelech put his boys in a really bad situation in put, having them live in Moab, and now they're married to 
Moabite women. And so it says um, in verse 5, And Malon and Chelion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. So notice these guys that were sickly and that had these problems, they died anyway in Moab. It, it didn't help. It didn't help them leaving Bethlehem. It didn't help leaving the house of bread where they were from, where their inheritance was. They still died. And let me tell you something too. A lot of people get themselves in a lot of trouble just running from challenges, running from problems, and getting out of the will of God. Listen, the safest place you can be is right smack in the middle of God's will. You know, and one of the things that I have lived by, and again, sometimes I get PTSD from working in a Christian school and being a youth director. It's worse than being a pastor. I'm telling you right now. But you know, (laughs) the the excuses and things that I would hear, and I I remember every year, you know, it would happen where it was like all of a sudden people would just start skipping church and skipping everything because they would just hear about somebody getting sick. And I remember I told my wife, I was like, you know what? Every week. And back then, every week except for one week out of the month, we would go to nursing homes. We, you know, we did bus route. I worked in a Christian school. I mean, we were around people all the time. And I was like, you can't run from sickness. And I'm like, if we're gonna, if, if we're gonna get sick, and we are gonna get sick, let it be with us being in the will of God and serving Him. You know, if God wants me to get sick because I went and visited sick people in a hospital or sick people in a nursing home, then I got sick doing the Lord's work and I, I'll bet God's going to take care of me. And you know what? We've all gotten sick before. We've, you know, we've had, but not that much. And let me tell you, the people who always ran from sickness were always the ones getting sick all the time. And, they would, and their sicknesses were always worse. You know, just always do the will of God. Always seek first the kingdom of God. God knows, you, you know, God knows no one of us like getting sick, especially when you have a big family and then it makes us rounds especially having a big family, by the time it makes its rounds again, all of a sudden, you know, you're susceptible to it again, and then you get it again. I mean, that stinks. But folks, you can't run from that stuff. And here we have these people running from sickness. It didn't work. They died in Moab, a place where they shouldn't have been. And this did, in fact, take a toll on their family. This did, in fact, take a toll on Naomi. Again, thank God he's going to do something good out of this situation. But it doesn't change the fact everything that we see them doing here was wrong. And so in verse 6, it says, Then she arose um, with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Oh, what do you know? God came through again for his people, just like he said he would. And so here they are in Moab, and they're like, Oh, yeah, things are actually okay in Israel right now. We were trying to escape the challenges and trying to escape the problems. And you know what they did? They, they ended up missing the deliverance too. And that's another thing people often do. They're always trying to avoid conflict, to run from danger, to run from battles, to run from difficulties, only to find themselves in battles and difficulties. You are never going to get away. It's like the same thing too. We, we hear about it all the time with women who they have these bad husbands that have all these problems and they think, if I can just divorce this guy, which is not God's will, and then go marry another guy, everything will be great. They go and they marry the other guy and you know what they happen to have? The exact same problems that they had with the other guy. You know what? You're always better off trusting God, staying in His will, 
and depending on God to work out your difficult situation. You never get out of difficult situations by running from God's will and being disobedient. You might have some temporary reprieve. You might have some pleasure in sin for a season, but it's always going to come back to haunt you. And what people have got to learn how to do is just endure some things and get through some things and, and just survive something. And mo- but most people just running from one thing to another. They run from church to church. You know, you got women run from husband to husband and men who run from wife to wife and just, they never conquer anything in their life. Same problems. And let me tell you, that is enough. You, you want to talk about discouraging. One thing that when I get some, you know, and sometimes I get discouraged. Sometimes I get in a bad mood and I let the devil mess with my head a little bit. And you want to know something that kind of messes with my head sometimes is when there's, there's some people that I know that I have known for nearly 40 years. And you go every once in a while, you see them on Facebook. And when you see them still fighting the exact same battles, having the exact same problems in their life, 30, 40 years later, it's like, why do these people never learn? Did these, pe- these people learn nothing? Went to church with these people for 20 years and it didn't help them a bit. And what it comes down to is because these people were always running from their problems. They always ran from their problems. They never fixed anything. And I tell you, I, I wish. It would be mean. It would be cruel. But sometimes I wish I could just, to, instead of preaching a sermon one Sunday, I wish I could just take the whole church. We could go rent a bus and go drive to some people's houses. And then just introduce you to them. I'd like to introduce you to so-and-so. You see this sorry pile of garbage right here. This person was in a church like you're in one time. This church, you know, this person, you know, they were, you know, they, they had a chance. They heard the kind of preaching that you hear. But they thought that they could run from their problems. They thought that they could find some kind of peace and sustenance outside of the will of God. And you look where they're at today. They are in the exact, some of them in the exact same spot. That's horrible. Some of them are even in worse spots today. This person is a failure in their life. They have no rewards coming for them when they get to heaven. Do you want this to be you someday? Okay, I'll never preach a sermon like that. But at the same time, I think it would be, I think it would be pretty effective if we did that kind of thing. And it is, it, it's a terrible testimony. Some of the people that I know, people that are in our youth group that I, I preach to, I try to help and just, you know, the parents just constantly, constantly running from responsibility refusing to do the difficult thing and just endure something. And then you see the way their kids turn out and their kids are now married and doing the exact same stupid things that their parents did. It's frustrating. And you do. I I hear some of these stories. I look at some of these people and I'm like, did I waste my time all those years over there? Did I wait? And and, you know, and, and, and I didn't, you know, listen, you know, they know they were told the truth, but not only that, there are, thankfully there's people I can look at that did great. You know, thankfully we have some success stories too. But the devil, he never, he doesn't like to remind me of those ones. He always reminds me of the bad ones. They're always the ones that pop up on the Facebook feed. Not not the good ones. That's just the devil. But understand, uh, Naomi, sure enough, she finds out, yeah, God took care of Israel after all. I guess we're going back to Israel. You know, and thank God he'll let you come back. But you know what? Why did you stink and leave? Why did you do that? Now she's got to come back 
without her husband, without her sons. And now she, and, and you know, and here's the thing too. Now that she's a widow, she also knows she can't count on being helped by the Moabites, but she knows she'll be helped with God, by God's people. You know, we need to always be that as a church too. You know, as frustrating as it is sometimes watching people be pathetic and never learn their lesson, you know what? We do need to be consistent. We do need to be a rock. We need to be an anchor for people and a place that people can know, hey, we can go back to Liberty Baptist Church 10, 20 years later. They're still going to be preaching the truth. They're still going to be standing strong in the right things. And they'll still be loving and forgiving. Even though it might be hard. And we might want to slap them first. You know? And I said, there's people I know that I think I would make that a requirement. It's like, fine. We'll restore you to the fold, but everybody gets the backhand you one time. Everybody, or at least me. And we won't do that. We, we, we won't do that, but I don't know. Maybe we should. Maybe, maybe we should. <laughs> but So again, God came through for Israel, but Elimelech, who tried running from problems, him and his boys, they died. And so verse 7, Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her, her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return unto thee and unto thy people. And, and I want you to notice this too, because... Even though Elimelech and his sons were out of the will of God, they hadn't completely forsaken their Jewish ways because their wives were clearly happy with them and wanted to go with Naomi and her people. Because think about it. The Moabites were very wicked. The Jews, they were a more godly people. And these Moabite women, they realized, hey, we're in a better situation being married to these Jews than we are being married to the Moabites. We know what those husbands are like. And so both of them wanted to say, and, and that's another thing too. You know what? If uh, you know us big mouth Baptists, and I'm not even saying that in a bad way, bad way. Okay, I consider myself a big mouth Baptist. We're real mouthy about some stuff. We're real mouthy about male authority, and I believe in male leadership. I believe that husbands are the leaders in the home. I believe in wives being submissive to their husbands. I'm a hundred percent. For all of that stuff. But at the same time too, it's amazing how many men pound their chest about how hard, hardcore they are, but how miserable of an existence their wives have to live. Let me tell you, godly men who actually do things God's way, their women are happy with it. You know, the reason your wife, you may have to make her binge watch sermons on Jezebel is probably because you're not making her happy because you're not a very good husband. You're all mouth and no action. And let me tell you, being mouth is easy. Barking orders is easy. You know, loving your wife, giving honors under the weaker vessel, all that stuff, that can be difficult sometimes. Actually leading, it's challenging. But, you know, these guys, they weren't just mouths. I think they were obviously good husbands. And so uh, they were, these women were content to stay with Naomi. But she, Naomi wants them to stay in Moab because she doesn't think she's going to be able to take care of them. And so in verse 11, says, Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? 
Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And it's important that we understand this too because this kind of helps us understand the customs of that time. But Naomi did not see any future for them in Israel because they were Moabites and their husbands were dead and neither of them had any children. So they would not have had any kind of claim to any of the inheritance in that land, which was a really big deal. So there was really, you know, Naomi didn't really have anything for them. Uh, and so she was thinking they would probably be better off staying in Moab. And so since she didn't have any more sons, she's like, you know, you can't marry into my family and be a part of their inheritance. So, you know, you might as well stay here in Moab. She, that's what she thought would be best. Since they were Moabites, their people would take care of them. So in verse 14, it says, And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth claimed to her, uh, and she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people in thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Now what a beautiful passage that is right there. What beautiful words those are right there. And Ruth chose to go with Naomi. Now, while the Bible does not tell us exactly what all made Ruth cleave to Naomi, Without a doubt, it was the right choice. And I believe we're seeing a picture here. And we'll, co- we'll cover that here shortly. And so in verse 18, it says, And when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? So ten years has passed. They were in Moab for ten years. They had seen Naomi, and since they had seen Naomi, ten years have passed. And Naomi, well, the Bible doesn't spell this out. I think most people agree with how we can interpret this next passage because she goes on to say, she said to them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me and the Almighty hath afflicted me. Now, there's a lot here. So first off, Naomi means pleasant. That's what Naomi means. Mara means bitter. Remember the waters of Mara? They called it Mara because the waters were bitter. So Mara just means bitter. Naomi, when she was in Bethlehem before, she was a very pleasant lady. And when people saw her, like, is this Naomi? And this once just, you know, beaming woman who was a very pleasant individual, when she came back, she didn't look the same anymore. Those 10 years being in Moab was rough on her. And she said, I am not the same person I was when I left. When I left, I went out full. She was full. She was full when they left. Why did she leave? For fear of becoming empty. 
Not because she was empty. Not because she wasn't being fed when she was there. No, for fear of that. Because of fear of a challenge. Fear of hunger. They left the will of God. And what ended up happening? She ended up becoming empty as a result. And now she's bitter. The Lord had dealt very bitterly with me. She was no longer that pleasant person. She was bitter. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. So Naomi went out of Bethlehem with a husband and two sons, and she came back only with a daughter-in-law. And let me tell you, this selfish, survivalist attitude is no way to live. People do not make it who live for themselves, always thinking about themselves, trying to avoid every conflict and challenge, they always end up facing conflicts and challenge, and they, except they lose. It's best to stay in the will of God and just depend on Him to get you through those things, and God will bless you, and you can thrive. But remember, Naomi, and I, I'm hoping on the symbolism now, I'm hoping I don't get ahead of myself. Okay, I, I don't want to just ruin what I want to keep you all waiting for. But just keep that in mind. Naomi went out full. She came back empty. All right, keep that in mind. Now let's talk about some symbolism that's in here. And because uh, so we should always, first off, we should always take into consideration the things that God has done for us in our life and ask ourselves if God has been trying to lead us a certain way or a certain direction in our life. Because th- that's, what, that's what they missed out on. A lot of people who are, they're just kind of self-serving, self-centered. When challenges come, sometimes God brings those challenges trying to guide us in our life, trying to, uh, trying to make us better, trying to strengthen us because He knows days are coming where we're going to need that strength. We see in Proverbs eleven twenty-eight says, He that trusteth in riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind. The fool shall be servant to the wise of heart. And think of, and so notice that phrase, he that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind. What does that mean? You're just going to get a mess. You don't know what you're, when a wind comes, it typically doesn't do any, accomplish anything good. And that he called it troubling your own house. In first, uh, you don't have to turn there, but in first Chronicles 2, 7, says, in the sons of Carmi, Achar, or as in Judges, or Joshua, it was Achan, the troubler of Israel, who transgressed and the thing accursed. Remember what Achan did? Achan saw some valuables among things that God told him, you don't touch any of that stuff. And Achan, what did he do? He got self-centered. Hey, this could bring me some wealth. This could help me out. Achan forgot about the rest of Israel Achan only thought about himself, and as a result, he troubled Israel, and Israel ended up losing the next battle. And then what happened? God ended up having Achan and his entire family killed. God wiped them all out. That, that selfish, self-centered, survivalist attitude did not work for him. Proverbs 11.30. We're still there in Proverbs 11.30. I, he said, I know these are all different Proverbs, but sometimes there's groups of them that are all kind of related to each other. And look what it says. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Behold, the righteous shall be recompensed in the earth much more than the wicked in the sinner. You know, we kind of see from these four verses that those who focus on righteousness, those who do the things 
that God wants them to do, things turn out better than those who are self-centered. Those who are just thinking about themselves. You know what it's, it's related to? Something Jesus said when he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things should be added unto you. Those are the things that we should be seeking after. And let me tell you, one of the reasons, too, a lot of people are jumping ship in the IFB world and they're dumping the way of the independent fundamental Baptist, too, is because they're looking at the pleasures that the liberals are having. They're looking at the fun that they're having, the fact that they don't seem like they're fighting any battles. And they're like, you know, that looks kind of appealing to me. And they get self-centered. They think about themselves. They go after that. And you know what? It never turns out good for them. It's always a mess. God typically blesses those who are fighting the battles. Those who are doing the things that they're supposed to do and staying away from some of the things of this world, God ends up blessing them and somehow making them happier than the people. You know, it seems like if you want to make yourself happy, give yourself whatever you want. But happiness doesn't come that way. Happiness comes from the Lord. And God God says, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You only think you know what you want, but your heart is deceitful. And let me tell you, Elimelech, Naomi... They thought they knew what they wanted, but the reality was they were wrong. They should have just trusted God. And what they came back with was not what they wanted. It was bad. And they did. Elimelech and Naomi's special needs children did not exempt them from God's will. And just understand, if God's will is the same for two people, and God's will is a little more difficult for one person than it is for another, then that person will just need to depend on God a little bit more. And God can more, he is more than capable of making up the difference. And that's what we all need is God's power anyway. So let's look at this allegory. Okay, let's look at this allegory. And let me tell you what I believe these things represent. Okay, and, and pre-tribbers will agree with me on this. Okay, they, they will agree with me on this. But um, they won't like it when we get to chapter 4. But verse, So first off, Naomi, I believe, is a picture of Israel and the Jews. Okay, Naomi is a picture of Israel and the Jews. Ruth is a picture of believing gentiles okay a motivite she's a moabite she's from a cursed people she is a person who has no inheritance she is a person who has no claim on anything in israel that's why naomi's saying hey you just need to stay here in moab but ruth because you know you she she didn't have a husband anymore she had no children she had no legal claim to any inheritance in Israel, Naomi wasn't going to have any more sons that she could marry into. She was like, so you might as well stay there in Moab. But Ruth claved to Naomi. Ruth claved to Israel. Not just the nation, but to the God. What did she say? Thy people shall be my people. And thy God, my God. Ruth, this Gentile believer, said, I want to be a part of you, Israel. That, that's what I want. And Ruth, you could say, and you know what the name Ruth means? Ruth means friend. Ruth was a friend of Israel. There are ministries. In fact, I was trying to remember, I heard about a ministry one time uh, that was like, a, it's like a friend of Israel thing. And, I, and they use, I believe they use this passage from Ruth is kind of like, is like their verse. Now they use that for us to be a friend of fake Israel today which is not right. But uh, at the same time, um, I do believe that Ruth here is a picture of a Gentile cleaving to the people 
of uh, Israel and their God. And in 1 Peter 2.9, it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation of peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And turn over to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. So remember, at one time, we're going to see this, we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers from the covenants and the promises. It says, uh, in whom we have also obtained... Wait, that's chapter 1. Um, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at the time ye are without Christ, being made aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants and promises, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, going to get ahead a little bit. Boaz is a picture of Jesus Christ. And so Ruth, she was. She was a stranger from the covenants and promises. But she did. She wanted to be a part of Israel. She clung to Naomi. And she ended up becoming a part of the inheritance. Why? Because she married Boaz. And so... Uh, and, you know, people will talk about the Gentile bride of Christ. And, you know, there, there's some truth uh, to what they're saying in, in there. But, um, well, let's, let's keep reading here. So it says, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity and the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make of himself in twain one new man, so making peace. And so Ruth, when she, uh, you know, clayed to Naomi, and again, when she married Boaz, who was a near kinsman, a near kinsman of Naomi, of uh, Malan Chilion, of, of a Limonex family, that near kinsman, when she married him, you know what? Israel became a part of the same family that Naomi was in. And those of us who believed on Christ, you know, those of us, we, you know what we did? We believed in Israel's God. We, we, and we became a part of the people of God. And we're no longer two people. We are one people. And so uh, it, Ruth, she is, she is a picture, you could say, of believing Gentiles. And so here's my question for pre-tribbers in the pro-Israel crowd. Are they sure they want to use this allegory? Are they sure they want to use this allegory of Ruth being this friend to Israel? Ruth, uh, you know, cleaving to Naomi who pictures Israel, wanting to be, have the same God, wanting to be their people, wanting to dwell in her land, all that stuff. Are they sure they want to use that allegory? Because I'm pretty sure when we get to chapter 4, we're going to find out that or allegory might not help your doctrine out that much. But I believe, I believe the pre-tribbers are actually right when we get to chapter 1, except when they apply that to us Gentile Christians cleaving to the Jews over in Israel today and telling them, you know, my God, your God is my God. No, if they don't have the Son, they don't have the Father. Okay? They, so that does, not, that does not work. However... It was the case back in that day. It was the case in the first century 
when the Jews, all right, when the believing Jews are the ones spreading the gospel to the whole world, and you had roots all over the place, you know, that were that was cleaving to the God of Israel, and and they and they got to the God of Israel through the Son, you know, thanks to a figurative Boaz that kids were, and we'll and we'll say more about that in the future weeks. But I'm telling you that allegory. In, in many ways, they're right when we're in chapter 1. But when we take it to its full conclusion, it tells a very different story than what they're teaching. And the story that we see in Ruth is the story that we've been telling and that we've been talking about for a long time. And so I'm going to make you all wait to see, to see what that is because um, it, it's, I, I think it's pretty good stuff. And it, it deserves uh, plenty of time. And so what we're going to leave, on, uh, we're going to end this on a cliffhanger. And the thing is, you're, you're not even going to get the answer next week. You're not going to get the answer, not until we get to chapter four. All right. So that was pray, dear Lord. I pray this message was a help to everybody. We thank you for this book, the beautiful story that we see in it. I pray, Lord, you'll help us to learn from the principles uh, that we see in this book. Lord, help us to not have this survivalist, self-centered mentality. Help us, Lord, to... Just strive to be in your will, to always seek first the kingdom of God. Help us to prioritize uh, you and others first and uh, that we'll uh, trust in you to just sort out all the details and uh, pray help us to learn how to get through difficult times, not to run from difficult times. And I pray help us to see victory in these things and help uh, just be with us as we go through the rest of this book. I pray that we will uh, get the things from it that uh, you want us to get from it. In your name we pray. Amen.